Welcome to another episode of The Last Zebra. I'm your host, Ugo Ezema, and I have the absolute honor of having Dr. Raven Jackson, PharmD, as my next guest. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Of course. How have you been? I've been good. Been good. Wrapping up the semester, so things are going well. So it's really cool because you came about as a potential guest because Mm -hmm. obviously my very first episode was with my cousin Mm -hmm. um, and their brother cousin essentially but (laughs) he's also a pharmacist and i i met you uh through some mutual friends Mm -hmm. some really great mutual friends shout out to the gaddises yes good people great people and uh i was really really interested to hear another point of view Mm -hmm. on what it's like to be a pharmacist in today's world yeah Um, but first of all tell us a little bit about yourself sure so i am from a small town um near the opelousas area i'm from palmetto louisiana Um, I went to Xavier University, graduated from their pharmacy program, and did a one-year pharmacy residency after graduating um, at Purdue University. Oh, wow. Yep. Purdue Boilermakers? Yes. Ah, Drew Brees. I think think Drew Brees went to... I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I can't confirm or deny. It's all good. It's all good. Um, But did that residency, was a manager with Walgreens for a little while in the um, League City area, and then I've been... a Professor Xavier since 2016. That's amazing. Yep. And how long have you known that you wanted to be a pharmacist? So I initially didn't want to go to college. My initial plan was to join the military, wow. Air Force specifically. My family had a lot of history in, um, in the military, various areas within the military. And yeah, I was like Air Force bound and my mom had other plans my senior year. And so it was a um, program called Upper Bound, which is like for kids who are first generation college students to expose mm-hmm. them to, to higher education and college. And that was when I first got introduced to Xavier, went on a tour, um, was my, I want to say maybe my first time in New Orleans. Wow. Didn't know Xavier existed. Um, and yeah, I got paired with this uh, pharmacist in Opelousas mm-hmm. who had went to Xavier and he was just this amazing man. Um and yeah, he was like, if you decide to do it, I think you should go to Xavier. And I was like, well, I'm not really interested, you know. But when the decision had to be made regarding a college, it was a pretty easy choice. Right. So I chose pharmacy and kind of stuck with it. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Why military? I know, you know, I know there's there's family connotations, yeah. fam- family influence where yeah. that's concerned. Well, at the time, I wanted to be um, a gra- not a graphic designer. I wanted to be... Um, an artist, but I wanted to specifically design airplanes. Wow. Yeah. So I took like a, a drafting design class in, in high school and fell in love with it. I always liked to draw as a kid. And so my mom, like she let me have this, this passion <laughs> for a long time. And then when it was like senior year, she was like, yeah, you need to get- we need you to figure out like a, another, another choice. Cause the military is not it. So when I had to change from that, it was like, well, if I'm not designing airplanes and I only saw myself doing it in the military, like in the Air Force. Mm. And I like the structure of the Air Force. I like the, you know, what comes along with that and just the security job wise and afterwards. But when I realized I wasn't doing that and I had to go to college, pharmacy was just like a, a easier, a easy choice. Right. It made sense. I was strong in science, strong in math. Um, and it was like, OK, this should this should work. Do you still draw? I don't. No. Mm-mm. No, I stopped. I, n- I never picked it back up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Would you ever? Do you think it's something you might read? I'm, I'm, I'm more so into crafts now. So I do a lot of like crocheting and, you know, like a little bit of knitting here and there. So I think I've just stayed in the art space, but just switched up a little bit. Nice. Yeah. Is there a part of you that, you know, if you could go back, would you would you make that same decision again? So... I don't I don't know, because once I got into Xavier undergrad Mm -hmm. and I was getting ready to go into pharmacy school after my second year of undergrad, I had I was like, okay, I could either go to pharmacy school or I could enlist. Um, And then I learned that I could probably enlist, um, but still like finish pharmacy school and, you know, kind of do it that way as well. 
But then I heard about the entrance exam and the physical assessment. And at that time, I was like, I don't think I could even pass the physical exertion test at that point. So it just it stopped being a thought in my mind. And the older I got, the further removed I got from it. At this point, I don't think I would change or do anything differently. And I for sure don't think I would. I don't know if I would change if I would go back and change knowing where I am right, right now. Right, it was a good right. choice. Oh, good. It was good. a good choice. Well, that's, that's actually that's actually really refreshing to hear because a lot of times when especially when you're you've shifted so drastically for yeah. something you're passionate about mm-hmm. um i find it very impressive that you're able to kind of uh switch that passion now to exactly what you're doing now yeah. I, I don't know if switch is the right is the right i don't word. know i think i just refocused like i think refocused. i just found I like an, another focus point and i can see the value in the choice that i made right, so right, i right. can't be upset or say i would do something different just because yeah. as a 17 year old i like to draw so That's really I'm, cool. I'm happy with it. And we, we had a, a brief conversation before yeah. uh, this started about before the beginning of this podcast mm-hmm. about how it's unbelievable to me. And I think we share the same view here that we thrust the idea of making your career decision yeah. to 17, 18 year olds so at, young. in college. So young. Um, and it's a good thing that we have we have parents and I feel the same way now. Uh, at, at before I've said this now, probably on, on every episode, I did. I, I I always felt kind of pressured into medicine. Yeah. But I'm thankful that oh, I had absolutely. the parents that had the oversight. Yeah. The tremendous insight, patience to deal with. Absolutely. Obviously, me resisting that for for the the times that I did mm-hmm. resist it. My mom um, was not. Um, I didn't have anyone in my family in healthcare. Oh yeah. And so my mom. When I when we were talking, you know, you do these entrance not entrance exams, but these um assessments in high school where it's like, oh, you're strong in this and this. You should probably think about being this, 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 and this. Yeah, yeah. And so every time I took those tests, it was like, you should probably be a scientist or a doctor or you know a pharmacist or something along those lines. And my mom, she would just say, hey, remember, like you're really strong in these areas, so pick something in that area. that aligns with these areas. Um, and she was like that you being strong in these two things can take you really, really far. Like, you know, you work hard, you like school. She's like, use all those strengths. And she's like, you could do six years of college. You could do, you know, longer than that if you want to. So she always encouraged me to lean on my strong suits, which as a young kid, I I didn't even think about, oh, the fact that I'm strong in science and math, I should, that should be my career. Right, right, right. But she had the foresight to kind of put me on that path. And it was never like you have to go to pharmacy school. It was like, you have to do what you're good at. Right. You know, so. Shout out to mom. Shout out to mom. She's pretty great. <laughs> Shout out to mom. For yeah. Real. Um, your mentor. Mm-hmm. Is, is he still your, like this, the, the one that exposed you to pharmacy? Did he go, he or she, he, he, he went, did he go to Xavier as well? He did. Um, so this, he was the first pharmacist I ever met. I had no relation. I knew uh, no other pharmacist before this man. Mm-hmm. And I met him at like 17. And so he went to Xavier many, many moons ago, um, but he gave me my first job in a pharmacy as a cashier. He mentored me, I mean, through pharmacy school. Um, he has been amazing. I actually saw him about a month ago at a Aww. wedding back at home. And yeah, he was just, um, he was just the greatest. It was an engagement party. But yeah, he was always been amazing, always been super supportive. And still, he's like, if you ever need anything, you know, right. let me know. He's not even practicing anymore, but yeah, he's, he was, he's been great. And I know you've you've kind of been in different aspects of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So obviously in retail pharmacy, yes. and I'm learning so much about pharmacy yeah. over the past few you know months, really mm-hmm. through, through this kind of exposure. I think as physicians, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but we're not really uh, exposed yeah. to the different styles. Different, and there's so many areas of exactly, practice. Yeah, so the, many. The, we're not exposed to all these different fields and. I just learned about clinical pharmacy uh-huh. through my residency training where I, I was starting to see pharmacists in that setting. Yeah. Uh, I had always thought of pharmacy as the, just kind of community-based pharmacy, retail Which makes pharmacy. Sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've dabbled a little bit in in all these different uh In a fields. lot of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, like I said, I spoke to, to my cousin, uh, Randy. Mm-hmm. Um, I said Randy, but Eke, mm-hmm. uh, Dikachi Eke. And he... He is actively practicing right now, yeah. and he has a very negative is not the right word. His his view of pharmacy is kind of uh, jaded, mm. and 
it was it was very jarring to me to hear him talk about it in that way. Yeah. And one of the biggest takeaways I got from it was he wouldn't recommend someone to do mm -hmm. it. And he's even thinking of going back to medical school. I heard that. Yeah. I heard that. Um, how do you feel about that? So I'll, I'll go back and I'll talk about like the different areas mm -hmm. that I've been able to practice in. So my residency was very much so retail community-based mm -hmm. pharmacy management and teaching. Um, so I did a Walgreens residency in conjunction with Purdue University. Wow. And so I got to see retail pharmacy from a management lens early on. Um, I've always liked retail. I like the hustle and bustle, the fast pacedness. Like I, I love all aspects of mm -hmm. it. Um, so I knew that that was a component early on in my career that I wanted to stick with. When I finished my residency and moved to League City, um, I became a manager of a Walgreens there. And I, everything about it, absolutely loved. It was crazy. Um, just like taking over a new store, mm -hmm. very young, um, having to train a new staff. But it was it was where my passion aligned at that time. And so getting the job at Xavier and having to switch over, I moved into clinic work. So I became a clinical pharmacist and did a lot of diabetes education um, from a hospital clinic, ambulatory care kind mm -hmm. of sense. I did that for a long time. It still worked for Walgreens PRN mm -hmm. like as needed. And only recently, I was like maybe two years ago, I decided to start working in hospital PRN. And so I did that, shifted out of retail PRN, moved into hospital. And just because it was like I wanted to add it to my CV, interested in, in that area of practice. And it scared me a lot, too. Like I've always not been a hospital person. I've been community for mm -hmm. so long. Um, but I think the fact that I have been able to see so many different aspects of the field, I've never got an opportunity to get too frustrated or too bored That's a great point. with it. Um, so, yeah, I know my viewpoint is going to be different because I I work primarily from a clinical aspect. I mm -hmm. still manage and see patients via telehealth. That's what I primarily do now for chronic care management. Um, so m my touch point with pharmacy is a little bit different. Even when I was working in hospital, um, which I've only stopped working as of July. Mm -hmm. So up until then, I was working PRN in hospital I still was only working a few shifts a month. So I would come in and I'm like, hey, you know, like, let's let's do it. And people have been working five, six days straight yeah, yeah. for, you know, 10 hours a day. So that's it's just a different scope. Right. I haven't had that level of intensity in working in pharmacy like full time since 2015. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think my viewpoint is just a little bit different. And as an educator, I also see the practice differently. Right. So I'm always going to advocate for it. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, I, I see the value in what we do. And I think it's important that people that we get that we recruit people who want to go out and do the work because it is important work. Um, I've had patients who have said, you know, like nobody ever explained this to me like this. Um, like this, this changed how I see this. this. This has changed my life. I feel like I can do this differently now. And you're going to have a whole lot of craziness that comes about. I worked a little bit in retail during the COVID pandemic and in hospital throughout the COVID pandemic. So I, I got to see it from two different sides, but I can't parallel my experience to the experience of someone like your cousin who was doing this every day. Right. And my best friends who work in, you know, who work in pharmacy, who've been doing this every day. It's just, it's not the same. Um, so I know that there's a ton of work that needs to be done. Like there's from legislation to, yeah you know, how we support ourselves within the field, um, how we stand up for each other who work in different fields. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But I'm again, I'm always going to going to advocate for it. You're you're like you said, you're an educator, yeah. especially an educator in pharmacy. And mm -hmm. I, I have a special place in my heart for anyone that ventures into <laughs> To academia, edu academia <laughs> education. Yeah. It, you have to be a special, special person. You just have to be. It's a lot. Um, truly a field that requires passion if it's going to be done. And mm -hmm. it, it's one of those things that if it's going to be done, it 100% should be done right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to double back on what what are the big differences that you know between, through your experience, mm -hmm. of course, the biggest difference between community and inpatient awesome. clinical pharmacy? Uh, can I can I do community clinic and hospital? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah hundred percent. So across the board, as pharmacists, we're expected to be medication experts. Yeah. So 
we should know what drugs might interact with what other drugs or patient conditions, age, all those different things. So we should be able to see and identify medication-related problems. I tell my students all the time, we are to be investigators, problem solvers, and we should speak the language of medicine. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm in retail, if I'm in clinic, if I'm in a hospital, those medications are going to look very different. Mm -hmm. In retail, we're talking about more chronic care or like quick acute care type OTC, you know, type things, immunizations. That's that space. In my clinic work, which I do via telehealth, it's mostly medication therapy management, which I see patients who are on 10 plus medications, sometimes up to 20, 25. And so there I'm really trying to spend a significant amount of time talking to these patients about, do you understand your medications? Do you understand how to take them? Do you understand, can you afford them? You know, all of the things that make someone more well. Mm -hmm. I don't always have that level of time in a, in a retail setting. Mm -hmm. So that's a difference. And then in hospital, I don't really talk to patients. I'm really just consulting with providers, nurses, um, other practitioners, and I'm receiving orders. Now, depending on what floors I'm working with, those might be mostly IV orders. They might be mostly PO orders, Mm -hmm. um, post-surgery orders. Um, so it's just, it's different because my population of who I'm servicing at the time is different. different. And so I would say, depending on what your strong suits are and, you know, what level of patient interaction you want to have mm-hmm. and what le- what level of rounding do you want to have? You know, like all of the, working in the interprofessional team or working more so in like not a silo, but, you know, where you're kind of steering the pharmacy ship right. as you do in retail is different from setting to setting. Right. That's that's pretty awesome. That's mm-hmm. well explained. Um, polypharmacy, you kind of brought that yeah. up. I, I, I was lamenting to a colleague of mine that I wish there was a way that we could have a consult for polypharmacy. Yeah. Like polypharmacy and telemed yeah. would probably be the best way to do it. Yeah. So if there's a way to, because so many men, if there's a way to, for someone to reconcile these medications, so many medications yep. are redundant Mm -hmm. or repetitive they do the same thing yeah Uh, they can be combined Mm -hmm. um there there are many different ways to alleviate uh, the burden the burden Mm -hmm. and that real and that is it's i think it's an under-recognized contribute contributing factor to patient um and patients not being compliant and hospitalizations and hospitalizations right Mm -hmm. so all these all these adverse reactions that you know come in a lot of them could be resolved simply by just addressing that and but I also don't think we as providers as a whole, one, a lot of us don't have the time. Most of us don't have the time to actually sit Especially down. Especially when you have someone with 27 medications. There you go. There you go. Yeah. A, it's, lot, a it's lot of times, yeah, exactly. A lot of times we don't have the time to, and we should, we really should have the time to kind of go through all of these things. That's a visit in and of itself. Yeah. And then the other thing is a lot of times we don't have the, the, um, education or knowledge mm-hmm. to be able to to yeah. go through all of these things in kind of detail. I imagine that you have to do whenever you're doing these uh, telemedicine oh, yeah. visits. We do. And and that's one thing that we, we train our students on in pharmacy school is how to look at these long lists of medications because it's different when you're looking at diabetes and hyperlipidemia right. and hypertension and you're looking at them separate. Yeah. But when you have a patient who has all three plus a little lanyard... <laughs> And you have, you know, that, that medication list, it adds up very quickly. And we are trained to learn how to identify and see like, oh, this and this, this automatically feels like a problem to me. Mm. Or why is this dose three times a day when it could be dosed twice a day? Because I know they're not adhering to that middle of the day dose. Right. You know, so we medication adherence and medication knowledge and collecting um, a medication history is a skill. And that's something that is taught um, within the pharmacy curriculum. But it again, regardless of where we work, we should have that trained eye to like find those those right. particular problems, whether it's eight meds or twenty seven. Now it's of course going to take more time, but yeah, that's that's one of the biggest issues I see are discrepancies in medication lists. How long have you now been in um, academic pharmacy as a professor? Right? This is my. This is my eighth year, eighth year, seven and a half years, seven and a half years. Wow. Mm-hmm. And was that something you foresaw when you started out or was it something that, you know, you kind of embarked upon and is, is growing on you? I 
when I started pharmacy school, I knew I wanted to be a pharmacist and that was it. I had no clue about <laughs> where, what, how, yeah. you know, I just knew when I graduate, I want to be a pharmacist. Right. And so when you get into like your second year, people start asking questions. So like, what do you want to do? I know I want to do this. And I didn't have an answer to that question. And I started mm-hmm. to panic because I felt like everyone around me knew and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So I went to my mentor um, who was, I forget what position he held as Xavier at the time, but he was in the college of pharmacy and I went to him. I was like, I don't think this is for me. Like, I think I made the wrong choice. Everybody else knows what they want. I was like, I don't, I don't have a, a, I just want to do good work and, and know a lot about drugs and help people. And so he looked at my resume and he just like, he looked at it, he closed it. He was like, you should be a teacher. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you've been tutoring and mentoring and doing all of this work. I was a research assistant, not a research assistant. I was a research methods tutor um, in the college when I was in school. I did some work outside, like tutoring Mm -hmm. around the city of New Orleans. And he was like, obviously, you like teaching. You should be a teacher. But I just didn't I didn't see that career path for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I started paying attention to teachers around, like in the college who were young, who kind of looked like me. And I was like, well, they're doing it. So I just like slowly started, the idea started to kind of come into fruition. And in my third year, I talked to him again. He was like, well, you know, if you want to teach, you have to do a residency. So that's one of the caveats um, of teaching is that they require at least one year of postgraduate residency. And I was very much so anti-residency at the time because I just wanted to get out into the field and, and do my job. But um, he said it's a small price to pay. You know, you can do a residency in retail, which is what my interest was in. And he was like, that'll that'll set you up Mm -hmm. to do what you want to do. So I was able to do the residency. And then I still wasn't ready to go straight into academia. I wanted a little bit more like foundation in working and managing a store. And so that opportunity came up. And so I took that. And yeah, when the opportunity to teach at Xavier came, it was a year after I became manager, like mm-hmm. almost to the date. And I was like, am I ready to leave my store? Because I'd just gotten it where I wanted it to, to be. And I talked to him again. Um, and that's that's the beauty of having good mentors. Um, this man had pretty much followed me for, or I was able to kind of stay in contact with him for five to, even now to this right, day, right. we still stay in contact. And he told me then, he said, you can always go back to retail. Like this position at Xavier, this is a one in a lifetime kind of right. deal. So he was like, you know, I know you don't want to leave your store, but if you're leaving it in good hands, then you got to do what's best for you. What's a research methods? So we tutor? had a, a course. It was like biostatistics. Oh, I love this. Oh, and it was my favorite course. And so we were, I was able to work with that teacher to be um, a tutor, research assistant in his course. So that was good. It was nice. One of my casual pet peeves, mm-hmm. especially around the pandemic, was uh, just in general conversation, whenever things came up about, you know, whatever it is, vaccines, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, um, was do your own research. Mm. And it's one of my own pet peeves. It's one of my pet peeves is that I strongly believe yeah. that most people don't know how to do their research. I agree. You, you don't know how to do your own research. I agree. So telling someone to do your own research because what that means to most people is to go on Google mm-hmm. and r- read somebody else's opinion yeah. on something. And that's not a well-formed opinion. Absolutely not. Not to mention the ability to discern, analyze and come to your own conclusions mm-hmm. when you read. And I'm not saying I'm good and great at this, right? right? but I, in general, to, to, to be able to look at a scientific paper journal mm-hmm. and to be able to discern and come to a reasonable conclusion yeah. using a well-understood framework. Yeah. Uh, so whenever I hear it, I'm just like, you have no idea. Yeah. It's it's way too high level of a of a topic for it to be so casually mentioned that yeah. you're like, oh, just, just do that. And it's like, well, that's, people learn how to do this. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, and it's something else that we, we teach and train our students on because you'll see something, a drug lowers A1C by 
such and such percent or 99 percent effective and it's like well what are we talking about at what yeah. <laughs> and says who right you know right, so right. that information it goes out there marketing is a big thing when it comes to drugs and a lot of the stuff that comes back to us as pharmacists is well i saw this on tv and it said it does this and this and then the finest of prints of course is like you know contingent <laughs> upon this and this statistical test i'm like nobody's right, reading right, that right, but right yeah. i i want to at some point whenever i have the time i want to find a way to create something i would make it free even like yeah. a free course on how to do your own research yeah um and really wouldn't it's it's just meant to let you understand how to read these kind of yeah. information and find out what's you know what's true what's what's bs yeah um, and some stuff is and that's i would say that's that's an amazing thing. And that's, I would still, I would still say that's super high level, yeah. but there are things, I mean, as small as a drug facts label, the back of a box of Benadryl right. that, you know, says to take one daily or to do this. And people still don't know how to read those serving sizes on food. You know what I mean? There's, there's so much education that's needed right. um, just across the scope of healthcare in general. So I think it's great that you, that you want to take, take that on. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big I'll, undertaking. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's it's in my book somewhere. I'd have to. It it, it will definitely take some research. Right. <laughs> Do take, your own research. Yeah, it'll take some of some 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 research into how to you know how to execute something like that. Yeah. Um, teaching. Yeah. Like I said, it it's a it takes a very special person. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what what has that been like? You've been like you said eight years in now. Yeah. What has that been like? What's been the what has been some of the the? I imagine there's a lot of personal growth. It's because, so much. Yeah, because and because in in casual medicine, in medicine, mm -hmm. the way we're trained, and medicine is a is a forever learning endeavor, right? Yeah. So every year you have to keep you have to keep up to date. Same, right? continuing education. Exactly, yeah. continuing education. Yeah. More so in pharmacy, I think pharmacy changes by by the day. Yes. By the day, something you are always behind. <laughs> exactly, there's something new for you yeah. to learn. How how are you managing? How are you coping with all of that? Academia has made me a lifelong learner. Um, so I have I was list we, we had a professional development series today and one of my colleagues spoke about growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And you can't work in academia and have a fixed mindset. You can't effectively work in academia and have a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. You have to have not even just a growth mindset, but a learner mindset. So I've become this lifelong learner because by the time I, I might mention a drug one day and it could be discontinued the next day. Yeah. One of the drugs that I see with my, in my patients all the time. Now I was on a call yesterday and it's like, Oh, you know, this drug is coming off the market in April. And I was just like, what, <laughs> when, why? And you know, you miss one email and you're behind. Yeah. I tell my students all the time when I graduated from pharmacy school, um, there are classes of drugs that did not exist. There was no mechanism of action. There was no drug. There was no treatment plan. It didn't fall into any guideline. And so not only does the drug, these drugs come about, but they also have a place in therapy now. So mm -hmm. I have to be able to strongly recommend this to a provider and say, hey, based off of this literature and this research, I know this drug just got here yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? So like I remember when certain drugs came about that are now, you know, more popular but it was a long, it took years for them to kind of mm -hmm. get acclimated or get, for providers to get adjusted to using those because we had this, these medications that have been around for so long. So not only learning the medications, but staying abreast of like these clinical recommendations that come along with them and being able to, to like advocate like, Hey, like, I think this is a good drug for this particular patient, you know, but it's. The continuing education piece and wanting to stay on top of it is important because you don't technically, you have to do a certain number of CEs mm -hmm. for your license, but that is the bare minimum, I feel. That's um, true. I think in order to stay where you need to be in your profession, you have to do much more than that. Um, so I have friends who work in retail and they specifically will do CE that's like related to their, you know, different areas of the population yeah, yeah. that they service. With me, I, I work a lot with diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. So January 1st of every year, I wait for the American Diabetes Association to <laughs> drop their new guidelines. And that's the one of the first things I'm reading in 2024. 
So, you know, like those things, you have to kind of stay on top of those things that especially are pertinent to your area of practice. But even around me, there are things that are going on in psych, in oncology, in these spaces that I don't really touch as often. And you're not going to keep up with everything. Right. Um, But when I see something that I'm not familiar with, my inclination is always to look it up. And I might not know everything about it, but... I don't like for there to be too many, too many drugs that I haven't heard of. Right. Um, but they, they come about quickly, very quickly. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is your, or what are your, your topics that you teach? So depends on the semester. Um, I teach interprofessional education, which um, I've been teaching since 2017. And I, I work with a ton of different schools around the nation, um, within the state and around the nation. And we, we talk about interprofessional collaboration. Um, I also teach professional practice, which is a first year pharmacy course. Um, it's one of my favorite te- courses to teach because it's in the fall semester, first year. So I get them early. Mm-hmm. Um, and my course goes over just basics of what it means to be a pharmacist, areas of practice, parts of a prescription, history of pharmacy, um, errors, things like that. Right, right. Um, in the spring, I teach medication therapy management, which is pretty much what I do in my telehealth center, gotcha. which is that overall comprehensive review of medication. So it is a skill. The students get a certificate training throughout the semester. Um, and so I train them in that. And I teach a women's health elective as wow. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of those stand out to me. Um, interprofessional. Yes. And again, I think a lot of the ignorance uh, that providers have about the world of pharmacy mm-hmm. is probably lack of that interprofessional yeah. um, relationship mm-hmm. or communication. A lot of times, our pharmacists and and honestly, I'm not I'm not making this up, but I think since I had that first uh, yeah. uh, episode, my I would gladly say that my like the way I appreciate my pharmacists is different. It's very different. Yeah, it makes it, sense. It's very different, mm-hmm. and. I am much more attuned to some of the challenges that, you mm-hmm. know, just calling and saying, like, I, I, I don't think I ever did this before, but even if the thought entered my mind, like, why isn't the, why yeah. isn't the level fed here yet? Yeah. Um, it's because there's a, a <laughs> there's a, some, there's a problem. Yeah, there's something, <laughs> there's something else, that's, because yeah. we want to get it to exactly, you as exactly, fast as possible. Exactly. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, a it's not because they don't want to do oh, it. Oh no, you never. You know what I'm saying? There, there's a lot going on. Yes. I wasn't aware of so much of those dynamics that yeah. go into, um, especially in that, in that particular case, clinical pharmacy. Yeah. What, that course, mm-hmm. um, I assume it's the entirety of a of a of a semester. Yes, it's the whole semester. How, how what what are, what's the breakdown of what that course is like? So, this course has morphed um, so many different times. And you had asked me a question earlier about you know what's something that, something I've learned in academia yeah, or yeah yeah. It's I, I've had to be very humble in assessing like my own personal self assessment when it comes to my courses. And this course has needed to improve every semester that I've taught it mm. so I always tell my students like you're getting Dr. Jackson 2.0 3.0 it just it keeps getting better um so like this iteration of the course doesn't look anything like it's looked before in the past mm-hmm. um but one thing that we focus on is um four interprofessional competencies which I want to say back in 2014 20 plus schools institutions kind of got together and said People who are working together should know these four things. They should have a sense of value and ethics, roles and responsibilities of the people that they're working with, a high level of communication, and then just like the basics of teams and teamwork. So we use those four competencies as the tenet of the tenets of the course. Mm-hmm. Um, so students, we, we get guest speakers in from various different disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I may be reaching out to you. <laughs> um, you know, various disciplines. Thank you. And um, we have them do interviews with either healthcare professionals or students in healthcare mm. professional programs. Um, they have to do a group project on a different healthcare profession than theirs. And we do like mock cases with, um, we have a school that we work with and we like, we'll set up a time. The school has different healthcare professions than we have. So we kind of mix everybody together in these little working groups. And it's like a little rounding team. Um, so we did an inner hospital simulation earlier this semester and it was probably maybe 10 programs and 
I don't know, like a hundred or so students mm-hmm. who were able to break up. So it was, it's always really nice when we can do those kind of like, um, I forget what they're called. Grand rounds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar to grand rounds. Yeah. And so we come up with the case. We make sure every profession is represented in these mock cases. We get facilitators from the different programs to add insight and the students always love it. Like they're like, wow. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Uh, a PA did this or I didn't know that an audiologist did this because it's we we've had veterinary we've had all sorts of rad sign like we've had like a ton of different professions in our working group so it's always really really good but the key takeaway from our interprofessionalism course is that the students learn from about and with different healthcare professions that's mm. that's the framework of interprofessionalism what we what sometimes happens is that people get talked at like like this is my job. This is what I do. But right, you right. N- you don't always get an opportunity to say, "Hey, well, this is this is what I do, or this is what I bring to the table." And it's important to know your role and your scope. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes things are outside of your scope, and it's it's okay to know that because when you're working in a team, as for pharmacists, I don't administer a ton of medications. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's more so nursing. Mm-hmm. And so knowing who is responsible for what in this patient's the overall scheme of this patient's care is important. I don't prescribe. That's not my job, (laughs) you know, but I find medication problems. Mm -hmm. I verify orders. I make IVs like knowing where you fall really helps you to to be more confident in what you bring to the table. So the students, this is sometimes the first time that they get to meet a student, a student who's in med school or, you know, talk to a physician or a psychologist. You know, we have PsyD on Xavier's campus. We have a physician assistance program Mm -hmm. and we have speech language pathology. We have public health. So we try to incorporate um, as much of those professions as we can in our interprofessionalism course. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I, I never had such a course in my medical school. And I didn't I, have it when I was in pharmacy school. Why, so I was about to say. It I came think, about around 2014 was when that shift kind of happened or when schools started to integrate it. And from an accreditation standpoint, wow. a lot of healthcare professional programs have to have an interprofessionalism component now. I, I think that's a that's a major move. I mm-hmm. think that's so awesome because... I think a lot of us aren't exposed to those diff- to all the different people that we work with. Oh and, yeah, and especially for I think for doctors because we're we're kind of thrust into like a leadership you role. You are. Oh yeah. Um, and some of us aren't, you know, necessarily ready for that. I we're, 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 we slowly work our way through yeah. training and all that stuff, but um, in that even in that context, it's it's within the framework of other doctors, right? Yeah. So you know, in residency, you kind of mirror what you exactly, see. Yeah. exactly, makes sense. Exactly. So it's really really cool to have something that kind of gives you that exposure. It, it 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 just humanizes everybody else. Yeah, and it it I think you have a greater appreciation, like you said, yeah. you learned a little bit from, about from a pharmacist, and like you when you have a, a f- encounter, it's like oh okay, you know. I have a little bit more patience. I have a little bit more time. I understand kind of where they're coming from a little bit. So it helps. I know it's helped me from teaching this course, even like from I was still, I've been working as I've been teaching the mm-hmm. course. So I've been able to kind of see and practice some of these different competencies and it makes a huge difference. Now I will say that it affects more so the people who are going through the, the classes now versus the people who have already graduated. Like they don't, they're not getting that <laughs> right, in the curriculum. Right. So I tell my students, you know, it's great that you're getting this training, but you're still going to work with a whole lot of people who have not. And so you might have this mindset of inclusion mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody has a place at the table, but there are many, many, many people who just do not have that mindset. And you're going to run into a lot of those people in healthcare. So because this is really just the beginning. This of is that, just the beginning of, of the of the influx of right. people who have that level of education. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing that that the second course that you have is women's health. Yes. Um, was that I, I imagine at the beginning you probably started maybe one and then you 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 one of these courses or how how did you first how did you you know, pick up which one you wanted to teach and then how did you add on to that? That's a good question. And then how'd you get to women's health? Oh man. So I'm going to start off with the women's health piece. Mm -hmm. So when I did my residency, I had to pick an elective, um, even though it was a retail, um, teaching residency, generally they'll give us one longitudinal elective and my longitudinal elective was on women's health. Always have had an interest in it. Um, 
and I wasn't exactly sure about the other one, so I just kind of picked it, and I absolutely loved it. We ended up doing like a lactation policy with mm. Walgreens in Indiana, um, so that workers at Walgreens would like have a space and what that looked like and all of the things. So it was it was a great opportunity. And so when I got to Xavier and they asked me about teaching, like because with a lot of schools you go in with a specialty and they'll yeah. they'll place you in a specialty. I didn't have one, and so they were like, well. What additional training have you had? I told them I had women's health, but they already had someone teaching that. Gotcha. So my other um, area of practice that I kind of had more experience in was in specialty pharmacy, which was where multiple sclerosis and mm. Alzheimer's. So I ended up teaching more so in the neuro space. Um, I always have to credit Xavier as an institution, as a workplace, um, because they really have given me the space to do the things that I'm strongly suited to do. And have been okay with me making changes. Um, so my chair observed me for a while and she called me in one day and she said, Raven, I really think you should teach in the first year course because I think you're really a good, like it's good exposure for the students coming mm -hmm. into the college to have a clinical professor in their first year. Um, and so I was like, okay. And so she was like, we're going to pull you out of neuro. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I didn't, and I also never wanted to teach like, I didn't think that neuro was my strongest suit, mm -hmm. even though I'd had some exposure in it. I felt like I was better suited in diabetes or women's health or something like that. So um, that came about. She switched me there into, into professional practice. And then I, I asked, I was like, hey, I'd like to start an elective in medication therapy management. Is that OK? And she was like, absolutely. Get trained, start the course, you know, get the students, enroll them. And teach the course. And so I've been doing that since 2018, 2019. Wow. And then with women's health, she kind of kept it in the back of her mind that I had this interest in women's health. And when an opportunity opened up, um, she called me and she was like, hey, if you still want to do it. And I was like, absolutely. So it was, I have a great boss. I work for a great a great school that, mm -hmm. you know, really has done the best for me, I think, to, to keep me in spaces that I'm best suited to teach. Awesome. And yeah, women's health, this is the most excited I've been about teaching has been like lately. I started teaching women's health last year. And so it's been it's been a great, a great course to finally like to be able to get back into that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. When when you started teaching, was it because I, when I think of teaching, I think of curriculums. Yeah. Forming curriculums. Mm -hmm. um, classroom etiquette and yeah. certain things that. Uh, I always assumed that you'd have to go into because there's a whole uh, bachelor's in education. Yeah. Right. I assume you didn't do that. I did not. So <laughs> how how did you how did you start? So you know because and you're doing high level education too. Yeah. It's not you know it's not like you're starting off in in preschool high yeah. school that like you went straight to the to so, high level education even beyond uh, tertiary education mm -hmm. right. So what was that like? So most residency programs require you to go through like a year long teaching certificate program. Oh. And so I did that um, through the Indiana Pharmacist Teaching Education Certification Program. I think it's called IPTEC. Um, so we had to do that as a component of our residency. Wow. And once I and that that qualifies you to teach from a clinical like in a clinical position. Right, so right, we go right, through right. how to write test questions, learning objectives, um, the managing a classroom with uh, older learners, we really don't have many issues with that. The expectation is that you come to learn because right. you want to be here. Um, but there is an art form, an art form to developing slides and creating test questions and assessing the value of these different questions. Mm. And I would say that is, you have to stay in academia a long time to really understand the quality of an assessment. <laughs> it is by far the hardest part of my job is making sure that what I'm teaching you aligns with the curriculum needs, as well as you have to take a board test after you graduate. But you need to know beyond just that, you know, right. and I don't want to just I can't just write a question because it sounds good. I have to make sure that it's impactful, that it meets a learning objective, that it meets a course objective, you know, so that they teach us the, the very beginning stages of what that looks like, mm -hmm. of what pedagogy is and, and what that means. And so once I got the job at Xavier, we, they give us mentors. So you get an, a faculty mentor who has been teaching for some time. And then I also went through an additional teaching certification program that first year I chose to, I didn't have to, mm -hmm. but 
I have a strong interest in teaching, um, in the actual practice of teaching. So I've, you know, I've read books and gone to conferences right. and training. So pharmacy teaching is its it's its own thing, right. <laughs> different than pharmacy practice. But right. there's um, there's a ton of continuing education and you know conference and materials and things like that suited just towards teaching. Do you, do you do the clinical aspects or when you're going to the hospital to do uh, mm-hmm. and the telemedicine, is mm-hmm. that more of a break of pace thing for you? Or is it something that um, you just it's, you don't want to lose the skills? Why we, do you? We have to. So oh. as, a, as a clinical professor, the part of our, our clinical part of our title is the mm-hmm. fact that we, we manage a site. So any clinical professor has to keep a site. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's a partnership with uh, the institution and the the hospital or the clinic or whatever that the pharmacist is going to provide this service and the hospital allows students to train underneath those pharmacists. Mm. And so it's a it's a, a win-win type right, of situation. Right, right, right. Um, when I worked at a hospital as my practice site, um, I would go there in the mornings and then I would come in the afternoons and I would teach in the afternoons. And so, you know, it was like a little a break in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now since my site is more remote um, that I have, I, it's I kind of switch between doing both um, very easily. So if I need to take a call for Xavier or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be, I can arrange my calendar in a way that suits whatever I needed to with my teaching. Wow. What what's your favorite thing about what you do now? Oh, what's, what, well, maybe that's that's hard. That is hard. <laughs> well, then I'll make it harder. Top, okay. Top three. <laughs> top three. Yeah. What are the things that actually a, a good way to I, I always like to think of it this way. What what are you most excited about in the mornings when mm-hmm. you think about your job? Hmm. I'm always excited when. Let me think. One, so I do, I do a lot of debates with my students. Oh, that's awesome. So I do rotate, I do debates on my, with students on my rotation. I do them in my women's health elective. I love to hear my students talk about, like defend their recommendations to confidently say, I would recommend this drug and I know I would, and this is why, and being able to tie in all that knowledge and to say it boldly. Mm-hmm. That is one of, that would probably have to by far be my most favorite feeling is knowing like I'm going to have my students debate today and they may not love it, but just to hear them do the research and to stand firm and say, Hey, like, I think this is a better drug than this. I, you know? And so that's, that would be one, um, two, I teach in a skills lab. So I teach, um, students how to do HIV tests, Mm. HCV tests, things like that. And I think for them to see themselves in certain spaces, um, and like for such an important disease states um, and to see them develop a skill and use a skill. And regardless, whether it's in my skills lab or whether it's doing a blood pressure assessment mm-hmm. or a blood sugar assessment or seeing them out at a health fair to see them do the skill of a pharmacist. That is always like heartwarming, too. Um, and anytime I'm meeting with a student because they're like, yeah, you know, I'm interested in, you know, maybe interested in retail. I'm interested in hospital and they want to talk about their career. And they're like first or second year. And, you know, they're, they're really just trying to get insight. Anytime I have someone eager for their future like that, that warms my heart, too. Uh, the two things I wanted to kind of add to that was how you became a pharmacist was through that eagerness. Yeah. From and somebody else identifying mm-hmm. that. Has there been someone that you've seen yourself in? Like a student? A student, yeah. Um, I feel like I see aspects of myself in a lot of them. Mm. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not always like, it's things I'm like, you're going to grow, like you're going to develop out of this. Mm. And so one of them has been like, um, just hesitancy and fear. And so I see students like, Oh, you know, I'm I'm not going to apply for this or, you know, I'm not going to sign up for this. And I see it and I was like, Oh my God, I was the same way, (laughs) you know? And I tell them all the time, like you will, you can only go so far if you limit you know, your exposure. I know it's not comfortable as I would consider myself to be more of an introvert, um, even though I'm doing this, <laughs> you know, but I like, I tell them like, you'll find your strong suits outside of your comfort zone. Mm. But I, I see that part. And then I also just see passion in a lot of my students and they really, really, really care about their patients. And 
that's the part too that I'll resonate with when I see someone who cares a ton and they're like, well, why don't we just find like a coupon for them? Or why can't we do this? And I'm like, I love that you care so much. Like this, this is good. This is going to take you far. And then the, the leadership piece is, um, another piece that I'll see in some students. And that was, that developed in me probably in my residency. So I'll see some students in their second year and I'll tell them like, I didn't have this level of confidence in presenting until I was Wow. In a residency. So it's always nice to see some things and, and to see areas where I can say, hey, I was here and now I teach in front of you. So mm-hmm. you may not like doing a presentation, but I'm going to keep making you do it <laughs> because I know the value that that has and where that can take you. So what what would you change about the field in pharmacy that you you think would help alleviate some of those stresses that Dr. Eke had brought up? He made a ton of amazing points. And um, one thing that I always ask my students on rotation with me is like, what do you see as one of the biggest issues facing pharmacy? Mm -hmm. And I can list a laundry list of things that I think negatively impact the profession. Um, One, I think that we we have to advocate better as a whole pharmacy practice. It can't be hospital versus or against community retail, against clinical like Mm -hmm. we can't. We can't combat against each other and think that we're going to move the profession forward. So I feel like if someone's working in clinical versus hospital versus retail, we should all be advocating like, hey, this is too much going on in retail. We need to advocate for our brothers and mm. sisters in retail or, hey, like this is getting crazy in in hospital. Like we need to make sure this is for all of us, because at the end of the day, we're pharmacists, right. regardless of where you work, you're a pharmacist. So I think peer support and having one shared voice as we petition for changes in the field would be substantial. Another thing is there's um, a lot of conversation about provider status mm. for pharmacists. So well, we, what would that entail? So provider status would basically be a way for pharmacists to be reimbursed outside of just dispensing. We get paid for the medications that we dispense. Mm-hmm. But when you work in clinical and you're doing like reconciliation and things like that is cognitive. Mm. There really isn't a good reimbursement model for cognitive mm-hmm. services. Um, and until that exists, we will primarily have to receive our reimbursement from dispensing provider status. Then a term looks different for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think whatever that means, if it allows for there to be, funds set aside for pharmacists to do certain things and that certain pharmacists aren't getting overwhelmed by doing so many different things. I think it could be, some things could be alleviated in that manner. I don't know what provider status is going to actually look like. They've been lobbying for it for years, for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that for us to be recognized for our cognitive skills, as well as our dispensing skills would be key. And if we had that peer support, um, amongst, just across amongst, the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if someone was to hear the laundry list of the things, mm-hmm. you know, all these negative things that are impacting the field. Yeah. If a young boy or a young girl, a mm-hmm. young college student hears all these things. Yeah. And they had previously met you and they were they were enam- enamored and they were like, I want to be a pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Right. I met this passionate <laughs> pharmacist. Who, yeah who clearly cares about what she does. And then in their own, you know, through whatever exposure, someone tells them these are the things that, you know, you should really think about before you go into pharmacy. Mm -hmm. How would you convince that person that they should be a pharmacist? So knowing that they already have a passion for something like, yeah, sometimes if if students are unsure of what they want to do, if they're fearful of just getting overwhelmed I sometimes tell them to try and see if this is something that they want to do. So Mm -hmm. especially new pharmacists, I usually will say try to work part time in retail, PR and in hospital or, you know, vice versa. Mm -hmm. You got to get your benefits, get your benefits, but see what you like. Some people like to be able to switch and do like a little bit more hours here, a little bit more hours there. Um, I would say get in a position and you might have to go through some tough, a tough period, mm-hmm. but get in a position of leadership where you can make some substantial changes. I think sometimes we don't see pharmacists at the top of these 
organizations that make decisions for mm-hmm. pharmacists mm-hmm. and they have no clue what's going on in a pharmacy. Right. I've worked with people who have not been pharmacists who have been above me. And I've been like, come see what I'm doing so that you understand where my priorities lie. Right. Right. Um, I think we also as pharmacists and it's going to be more work. We have to advocate for better pay and higher pay for our pharmacy technicians. Mm-hmm. They save our behinds <laughs> all the time. My sister's a pharmacy technician and I know the hard work that she's, that she does. And if we could pay our pharmacy technicians more, they could do more, mm-hmm. you know, they would you see this as a career and as a, as a passion and they would, and they would stay. It's hard when you have technicians coming in and out. Um, it doesn't matter how crazy my days were when I had a full staff of dedicated technicians, my day was smoother. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we have to consider what that looks like to say, Hey, this is a professional career. We want people who, who want to be in this field as a pharmacy tech and we need people, you know, who can do those things, but we can't, require so much of someone and then the, the compensation isn't there. Right. Right. Um, so I think those are, those are a couple things I can think of, but it is, it is challenging, but I think any career you go in is challenging. People always ask me like, you know, do you think academia, like, did you pick academia because it's an easier choice than retail? When I was in retail, I loved my job. Mm-hmm. I didn't leave it because I didn't love it. I left it because this was a better choice for me then. Right. Um, and so I would say there are going to be challenges regardless, wherever you go. I think healthcare in general, if you come into healthcare now post-COVID, you're making a choice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think any area of practice in healthcare is probably going to be a lot, you know? So I, th- I think they have to understand that healthcare has shifted and that, you know, things that used to that didn't exist before exist now. And you make a choice when you go into healthcare to assume that responsibility of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, it's adulting too. Like you're gonna have to balance some stuff. And yeah. That's that awesome. What what does the future look like for you? So hmm. I, this is a this is a and I'm hoping my daughter is only four and yeah. my son is only one. But I hope to frequently ask them to think of themselves whenever I'm able to have a proper conversation with them. Yeah. Think of yourself uh, a year from now, mm-hmm. five years from now and 10 years from now. Yeah. W- what version of yourself do you see at each of these junctions? One year, five years, 10 years, mm-hmm. one year. Mm. One year is, uh, so in a year's time, the newest uh, publication from American yeah, right? <laughs> is right? about to come out. <laughs> um, in a year's time, I, I hope to make, a, I guess, have a better view of what I want my progression, my promotion to look like. Mm. Um, I've been promoted from an assistant professor to an associate professor. So my next step would be full professor. And so I really need to start collecting my scholarly work and seeing what that that looks like so that will probably be what i move into next year um in five years i see myself moving into higher like admin higher administration so i got my mba last year in healthcare administration so thank you and so yeah as i look at the curriculum i'm seeing it from a different lens now i'm i'm more so in like a hey we should probably do this a little bit differently or we've been doing it like this for this long but it's it's not yielding what we wanted to yield so i'm at a point now of, of assessing the curriculum differently with mm-hmm. a different lens after eight years and so i can see myself in five years wanting to be more so having more of a hand in curriculum development and policy and, yeah. and things like that um and in 10 years I don't know. I'm hopefully I'll just be at a point where I'm getting emails and text messages from students past. We're like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm teaching now or I'm working here or I'm, you know, a supervisor at Walgreens. I just want to have such an influx of positivity of people who are happy that they're in the field. That's what it's 10 years. I want to just kind of like pick up my phone every day and see something positive about the field. Um, maybe higher administration from a career standpoint. Um, but yeah, academia has been good to me, so I don't see myself leaving out of it too That's soon. Awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, do you engage in active research? Are you a researcher? Yes, I am an active researcher. My research is mostly in interprofessional, I'm, I'm sorry, um, telehealth. 
Okay. But from a rural health perspective. So my my main focus is to help to decrease the digital divide between um, those who have access to healthcare and technology and those that don't. And so I'm constantly trying to make sure that as telehealth goes out into rural communities, mm-hmm. that is done so equitably and um, and not in a way that's going to continue to further cause divide right. um, between those people. Because telehealth is great for rural areas, but it's not great if you don't have the broadband or the, the technology or the digital literacy. Right. So I have been finding pieces along the way that have shown me that there's much more work to be done. Um, so that's another thing I hope to do in a year, start digital literacy classes in New Orleans um, and surrounding areas to, to get people more comfortable with, you know, opening up your chart to see, you know, like to this, see what's going on, to see what's going on, you know, getting comfortable with just computers in general. So I'm going to partner with our computer science program, hopefully, and, and do some things. But yeah, just that's making awesome. healthcare better for people who need it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What What are your outside work hobbies? What do you like to do outside of work? Uh, read non-work stuff. <laughs> I like to read. Um, I love biking. Really? Yeah. I'm into biking. I I don't love running, but I do it. I've gotten into <laughs> 5Ks and 10Ks, and I think it's just like a adrenaline rush. So I'll train for a couple 5Ks a year, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I don't love it, <laughs> but I do it. <laughs> Have you done the Crescent City? I have done the Crescent City, um, and I've done Old Man River, mm. done a couple races outside of the city. Um, but, yeah, that's pretty much it. Staying moving, reading, keeping my mind you know, going. What kind of books do you like to read? Uh, usually period pieces. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Period pieces, fiction. But I'll I'll do a balance between that and something a little bit heavier. So I like to kind of break it up and read two books at once. And so I'll kind of go back and forth between the two. <laughs> and I have a thing where I, I don't like to end a book. So I will, that last chapter. You, you let it go? I I either I'll let it go and I'm like, I just can't, or <laughs> it will literally take, it might take me two weeks to read up until the last chapter. And it might take me three months. Why is that? I think I'm just never ready for it to be over. Dang. And when I, cl- and when it's over, it's over, it's done, right, right, right. <laughs> you know? So, um, but I, as a young kid, I've always loved reading like novels, series. Um, the longer the series, the bigger the book, the better. Nice. So I was a big Harry Potter. I was, I was just about to ask yeah, you. Yeah, naturally. <laughs> I, I was just about to ask you. And, you know, I'll tell you a story about Harry Potter. I, I read the books when I was in boarding school, when okay. I was in high school. And it, then it wasn't really that impactful to me. Oh. I, I was a Tolkien fan, so I loved The Lord okay. of the Rings. Okay. So okay. I read The Lord of the Rings, The Cimmerillion, um, The Hobbit. Uh, yeah. Like, Tolkien was just my guy. And then short stories, Arthur Conan Doyle, some okay. of my favorites. Uh Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Um, anything Sherlock Holmes. Arthur Conan Mystery kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. You. So I read like the, the the Hardy Boys and okay. for no reason Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew. I read all, I read all those. That books. makes sense. Um, but Harry Potter, when everyone was talking about it, I, I read it, but I was just like, I mean, it's it's cool. Oh my goodness. And so I, I completely forgot about it until and so I never watched the movies. I only oh. saw the first movie, um, like. At some point when it came out, I think I watched it as a bootleg at okay. the time. In any case, in recent years, so mm-hmm. in the last five years, I went to Universal. And oh, there's a Harry Potter world. I heard. And it blew my mind away. The the books, that's so <laughs> if you've read, the books are, is the perfect depiction of what you see probably at Universal. It's this, the imagery in the book. Oh. I have not seen imagery better than the Harry Potter series. I, it's a, it's mind-blowing. The detail. my mind away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even the way to get in. Oh, yeah. But it's all described in, in text. The, in the, yeah, in yes. the, yeah. So when the movies came out um, and I watched the movies, I already knew who was who. I knew where, I knew where they were going. I knew what... Because I could visualize it in my head yeah, from reading yeah, the yeah, books. Yeah. But yeah, like that's... Those types of books, um, as a young kid, kind of led me into reading more series now. So I think my, my latest series has been the Bridgerton series. Oh, okay. So yeah, I've been yeah, reading those yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, prior to the movies coming yeah. out. But yeah. Man, I'm telling you, it blew my... So much so that I, after going to, literally that day, mm-hmm. after going to Harry Potter World, my wife and I watched like the first 
two movies and, and it, in the span of 48 hours yeah. we watched all eight movies Naturally. i mean you just had to it yeah. i was like how did it makes sense how did i miss, <laughs> miss this, this this entire time and yeah. this is in the last five or six years this oh, is yeah. when this happened and i'm just like i i've I read the books, but th- that really just transformed. Tra- so now mm-hmm. when that when it comes on, if it comes on on anything, when you t- hear it, it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm, all right, all right, just you know, get me a nice little drink, sit down, yeah, this higher part of time. I love yep. it, absolutely love it. Well, wow, this was awesome. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. This is good. Thank you so much. No um, problem. I really appreciate it. I I think it's important to always have. Um, essentially a different point of view yeah um and a different way to assess and frame the the field as 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 we're talking about and again i'm 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 left with much more appreciation for for what you guys do so yeah thank you so very much i hope you you come back yeah (laughs) and i I appreciate the space to even talk about what i do um you know and to be able to talk to someone else in in healthcare about it so this is this has been great absolutely yeah thank thank you so much all right all right. <laughs> not too bad, eh? No, not bad at all.